Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearCast. Today I'm joined by Lauren Rich for part two of Mental Health Within the Department of Defense Ecosystem. So on part one, we discussed employees seeking out mental health treatment, especially if their traumatic event is classified. We touched on psychotherapy notes versus progress notes, and just overall why it's important to seek out treatment voluntarily if you have a security clearance. So today on part two, we're going to focus on the employer. So as we keep hearing about a mass exodus of employees from the DOD sector moving into the private sector, what can contractors or federal agencies actually do to avoid their cleared employees from becoming burnt out? So we're, we're trying to answer that question today. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today again at Clearance Jobs. Thank you. Yes, always a pleasure. So I thought we could start. Let's talk about why should an employee's mental health matter to employers? Well, and, you know, um, that's just such a soft approach. Let me put it in employer terms. Employers should be concerned because this is all about risk mitigation. Um, This is about saving the company money. This is about protecting the company and most importantly, identifying vulnerabilities. And and your your people should be considered soft targets in many ways. Um, So let's first just look at the piece of human capital. When you look at the industry as a whole, on-the-job training is exceptionally important. You know, prior experience and what people know. You can work in cybersecurity uh, in, in the defense industry and not necessarily have to have a degree, which is exceptional. Um, and that person is valuable on their own. Um, but then we have people who have that on top of mathematics degrees, engineering degrees, you know, you name it. And, and some of them even at the master's or, or graduate level. So when you look at your employees, I want you as the company to think about what is that employee worth value-wise? What do they bring to the table? Because easily I can tell you, I have a number of friends that work in that uh, sector and minimum $300,000 investment is what these people are worth. So when you look at the mass exodus, when you're, when you're not just losing one, but when you're losing two, five or more a month, uh, this is an extremely costly problem for, for major companies and contractors. Uh, so that's just the human capital piece. Um, the most important piece, though, is that if we are asking people to constantly work regardless of offense or defense, but constantly work on protecting the country and national security. And we are working from a mindset of an attacker, either direction, really. We live in a very dark place at times. And I don't know if the name Monica Witt rings a bell for any of you. It should, um, as she is prior Air Force and worked for a massive defense contractor in the United States. Uh, she defected to Iran in 2013. And, and when you look at what happened, she eventually over time became disenchanted with her mission and and with national security and America as a whole. Um, when you look at some of the conversations that she had, what you can what little you can find on the internet, one quote when she's talking to her handler, they flatter her and they say, oh my gosh, your your skill set is so great. I should I should thank the the sec def. And uh, she she laughs and says, uh, well I want to use my knowledge for good and not evil. And so this is a woman who pledged 
an allegiance, took an oath to America, and somehow psychologically became vulnerable enough to defect to Iran. Uh, so we're not just talking company security, we're talking national security. And if you as a defense contractor think that that would not happen to your employees, everyone is human. Everyone has vulnerabilities. Everyone has issues. Um, and for her, I suspect that it was a lot of feeling accepted or wanted, um, knowing some background or at least a little bit of background about her. And that's the piece that employers don't necessarily see. We don't necessarily see that psychological or emotional side of our employees. Um, and we need to realize that that piece that we're actually neglecting is the largest piece that you're going to have to mitigate, which is why taking care of them is going to be so important in order for you to retain your asset. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and you know, there is a psychology and even a cultural piece to insider threats. And before someone becomes an insider threat that provides that risk for companies, that's a whole other thing to unpack. But certainly something <laughs> that that uh, companies and defense contractors and agencies in terms of the psychology of the employee is something that they need to be thinking about. So from a mental health sort of standpoint, what sort of issues are individuals with security clearances that you know they may need assistance with? that employers should be aware of otherwise? Well, so we have some of those adverse behaviors like we talked about last time, alcoholism, divorce, those types of things. But really, the, the number one complaint that I get from people in that industry is that I am overworked. They are working 24-7. And comically, you know, hum humorous enough, the other area or, or another major sector um, of the U.S. population that is struggling with too much technology are farmers and agricultural producers. And it is only because the technology has advanced so much that there is no longer a sunup to sundown schedule. They can do anything in the field at 3 a.m. And so we're now in the same area in ag production as we are in the cyber world in that the job itself never really stops. It's on the human being to say enough is enough for today. I've done all I can do for today and I will come back to it tomorrow. If you don't have those healthy boundaries or you're a workaholic in this sense, um, you'll end up on the computer at 3, 4 you know, five o'clock in the morning and realize that you have not even gone to bed and that you're supposed to be at work by 830. That is a great point, though, that it has spread or bled across industries that the the technology advances that we've seen, mm -hmm. while they're so great, they also have provided for opportunities for this burnout that I, I'm sure a ton of folks in the defense sector specifically are experiencing. Absolutely. And when you when you think about people, you know, I, I realize that a lot of the defense sector is in sunny South Florida, um, but <laughs> there is no sunny South Florida in a skiff. There are no windows. Um, and even outside of the skiff, you walk through a lot of these buildings. And once you're off the main building and you're on the rest of campus, there are no windows to be found 
anywhere. Um, and I remember working in a building like that when I worked for the government and you you had no idea if it was a beautiful 72 or if there was a blizzard. You, you just had no clue. Um, so we have people who already struggle with things like seasonal affective disorder um, or, you know, they, they have insomnia on a regular basis. And then you put them in an office or a building for 10 hours a day that has no sunlight. It's just going to worsen the scenario. Um, so you really even need to think about the layout of your building. You know, is there a place where people can go eat lunch where there's natural sunlight? Um, are there are there sidewalks or walking paths that are cleared off um, and free for them to go take a break and actually get some walking? Um, because the other piece is that they're most of them are sitting all day long. Uh, and they say that sitting is the new smoking. So if your company can purchase a number of stand-up desks, I would do that too. That would be a, a very healthy solution uh, in a very efficient timeline. Sure. And very simple solutions to help mitigate those. I know I experience sad seasonal affective disorder uh, when it starts to get mm-hmm. cold out and dark out and I kind of want to crawl into a hole. I know there are other folks that feel that way as well, especially working in a jail like a skiff. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, those small things, and there are even, um, there are even seasonal affective or sad lamps, as they call them. Uh, and, and people could take those into their offices if they want. I used to share a wall with a psychiatrist who had one. And um, just a gentle reminder to everybody that vitamin D, when you're outside, vitamin D before noon helps with your mood any type of mood problem, whether it's depression or, or something else. Um, so keeping those things in mind can, can really help people. Um, the other piece is that we need an ongoing supportive structure that employees can tap into. So let's take our two polar opposites of the industry. Let's take our standard military guy who deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq, maybe once or twice, you know, small missions work, uh, maybe even CIA operative work, those types of things. Uh, And then we've got our recent college graduate who is a true, what, what generation are we on? Generation Z? Gen Z. Okay. So we're no longer badmouthing the millennials. We're badmouthing the Gen Zers. So so let's take our brand new fresh out of college Gen Zer who has to interact in a quote unquote civil manner with our prior service member. Let me tell you what, companies, your interactions and your social and cultural uh piece is going to be vital because your Gen Zer has no clue about your military personnel and your military personnel does not care what pronouns they are using. Okay. So you need to have different support structures for both of them. Um, The EAP would be great for those types of issues. You know, young people who are transitioning and trying to find their place in the workforce, you know, transitioning from, from college and leaving their parents, um, parents nest or, you know, moving into the workplace full-time, those types of things, the 22 or 23 year old, the other guy needs a very specific coach that it's, that is not the EAP person. Okay. So you need to think about how people interact with each other. And yes, we have all of these new policies and diversity and, and all of this kind of stuff, but But in reality, everybody should have the same shared mission. The mission should not be, who are we hiring in a cultural stance? You know, what are we doing to check boxes? The mission should be national security. What are we doing to prevent bad guys from doing bad things? And how do we continue to help the government be successful in its overall mission? Sure. So talking about burnout, 
you've obviously counseled a ton of combat veterans, uh, I'm sure on the topic of burnout, uh, coming out of the military, entering the civilian world. So is this preventable from an employer standpoint? And how can organizations ensure that any of their employees, whether that's former military or not, uh, ensure that they aren't burnt out from the defense industry? Oh, certainly. I I think burnout is very preventable. Um, A a lot of that has to do with how the company approaches it. And and I get phone calls all the time. I had a company call me about two weeks ago um, and they're smaller, but they're they're, they still have active operators. They're still doing things in the defense industry. We're still helping people, that type of stuff. Uh, and the statement was, you know, I've had suicidal folks um, who can't work here anymore because we didn't take care of the problem. Um, and I feel like I have a tidal wave coming my way. And let me tell you what, it will be here before you know it. Your employees need to develop a relationship or rapport with somebody like me in a coaching relationship or in a therapeutic relationship before they need them. The company needs to develop that relationship with a coach like me before they need them because I can't help you as much once that employee has committed suicide. And, and you know, between the company and I, you and I know exactly how lengthy and how detailed that post-suicide process is. You're going through everything in their office. You're looking to see if they were exploited. You're looking to see if they shared any information with anybody. And so it's not just grief and loss of the employee. Now we have to go through everything that that employee ever did at work and sometimes out of work um, to ensure that no secrets were were sold, um, that espionage didn't happen, all, all of those kinds of things. So in order to prevent that, you need to have a relationship with a coach before you get there. The investment that companies make with me helps save them money in life insurance payouts, in vacation, in lawsuits. I mean, so when I say risk mitigation, this is risk mitigation all the time. Um, You can even sometimes with certain insurance companies lower your liability rate because you take somebody on staff or on retainer like me to help your employees through that process. Insurance companies love that. Um, They want to know what you're doing in an ongoing manner to lessen the risk of liability. Um, so developing rapport with somebody is, is excellent beforehand. I would say rotational projects. Um, when your folks live in the same world all the time for years on end, that's not really a great place to live. I I get that people get comfortable and they have certain skill sets, but people also need a challenge. Um, they also need to expand their horizons a little bit. And so I would say, look for volunteers to do different projects. Um, once they wrap up with one, they can move back to their original job or, or however that wants to go. The other thing I would consider is mandatory time off. Um, and for some companies, they do mandatory coaching. You know, every, Everybody goes that way. There's no question about who's going and who's not going. Um, So there is absolutely a way to reduce burnout. Uh, Companies simply have to take the steps to do that. The issue, one of the many issues, I think, is that companies like to see productivity and they're never going to turn down free work. But when that employee ends up working Saturdays and Sundays and into late nights and they don't take vacation at all, they ultimately end up on short-term disability for psych issues, many of them, at 12 weeks or longer at a time. And so then where have we gotten? We've gotten, you know, nowhere. What they're putting in on the front end 
is blown out the tailpipe threefold because they're not at work for three to four months at a time. So big things, risk mitigation, you're trying to prevent your employer, your organization or your business from incurring more costs than you really needed to. So investing in Lauren is a licensed clinical social worker. So investing in someone who is going to help under help you understand what the employee needs and what you are trying to prevent in terms of a psychological standpoint. The other thing that you mentioned in terms of rota- rotational work, I love that. I have a friend who is in the Marine Corps. He's an Intel guy. However, he transitioned to recruiting for some time. Mm-hmm. He got a little bit of a break from the Intel work. So having those options to keep your employees, help them to feel exercised and challenged, but also give them a little bit of change of scenery. Because like you said, we are human. We have tendencies and, uh, you know, getting into the day to the mundane day to day of the same work can can put some harm on your mental health, I would say. Absolutely. Well, and the the old adage, you know, of complacency breeds contempt. My gosh, will it ever. Um, so you really have to be aware of your people and and check in with them periodically. And, and don't make it punitive. Make it preventative. You know, the government is so reactionary all the time. Um, it's, it's just a knee-jerk reaction to every problem. Don't live there. Live in a preventative mindset where you're investing in people up front so that they will stay with your company longer. They, they need to know that you're loyal to them in that manner. Um, one thing I, I think is really interesting is that I had one company I spoke with who they said, well, we use polygraphs. And I said, well, how often are you using those? And he said, well, we went to HR and we tried to use them more frequently, but apparently um, that's some type of legal violation. So here's my opinion on polygraphs. Uh, I have also done some offender work and I have a polygrapher on retainer and he is a great and wonderful man. He is very good at his job, but polygraphs are... uh, flawed, like many other areas of science. And in my opinion, polygraphs do two major things. They, one, provide accountability. Two, they help build rapport and a relationship with polygrapher. But the issue with that in the defense sector is that you can't do a polygraph every 90 days. This is not realistic. Um, So when you only have one polygraph every five years, you're not really gaining anything. The gain to the constant poly, as, as we could put it, uh, is that there's accountability there. And, and those offenders know basically that, that what's going to come out on the poly could help or hurt them. And so a lot of them in, end up admitting the wrongdoing before we even get to the polygraph. But that's an every 90-day item. Companies can't do that. And so if you think that you're going to be able to hold people accountable through polygraphs, you're just going to be wrong. And and HR will probably tell you it's not legal and we can't do it. Um, So that piece Mm -hmm. is is off the list. Um, When you think about coaching and the process of people coming to see me, many of them are, are nervous. And so in the beginning, we're not actually doing any heavy duty work. You're just introducing me into the company. We do some educational pieces and people get familiar. The benefit of having somebody who's not actually on site is that no one ever physically walks in my door, which means we can do the work and no one even knows about it because in the usage reports, there are no names. There are no personal identifiers. All the company sees is hours of usage and numbers of people. And that's it. That's the only disclosure that we make. And and that's in the agreement. Um, You have to consider that this is something that 
will only get worse with time. As the mass exodus increases, companies will need to and have to start adapting to what their employees need. Otherwise, it's going to cost them even more in the long run. Sure. Great golden nuggets to help prevent this mass exodus that we've been hearing so much about for cleared talent within this industry. So sort of kind of backtracking to insider threats, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that. So mental health, adverse behavior, a lot of the times, you know, hindsight is 2020. So what managers, uh, what they can do or what they should do, how they can work with employees if they are noticing this adverse behavior or interact with their employees, clinicians, if we could go over that a little bit. Sure, sure. So if it's an actual clinician, your, uh, your employee will want to sign an ROI. And, and here's how I work that. Our, our ROIs are very, very vague. It's about whether or not they attended and whether or not they're stable. Okay. If they're not suicidal, if they're not at risk for actually hurting them or, or hurting themselves or somebody else, um, and obviously there are legal constraints to that. But if your employee allows me to talk to the company about those things and we say, hey, I think it's time we need to take a vacation. And I don't mean a, a one weeker, I mean like a four weeker. We need to take a break and unplug for a while. That can save a lot of harm down the road. Um, so open communication and understanding that this is a collaborative relationship between the three of us is really, really important. Um, clinicians, if you find the right one, should also be fluent and understand the FS86 like we hit on last time. Um, and, and there shouldn't be any surprises. <laughs> Let me put it to you that way. Uh, everything that we cover and everything that your clinician helps you fill out on the SF86 should not be a surprise to anyone involved in this relationship. That's not what we're after. Wonderful. So that, that was a lot of information for employers, but a lot of really good information in terms of understanding the employee, mm -hmm. understanding sort of the risk and the benefit when it comes to offering benefits for their employees, helping to maintain their mental health. Uh, again, also we can avoid this mass exodus of cleared talent in terms of supporting the mission of national security, which is very important, obviously very important to clearancejobs.com. So Lauren, any closing thoughts that you'd like mm -hmm. to share with our audience today? Any more golden nuggets that you want to share with maybe some of the cleared recruiters or the employers that might be listening in? Um, I would say the other piece is when you think about the interactions that you have with your people, um, and I know we can't ask a certain amount of questions on interviews because of federal laws, but you need to get creative in how you interview people and asking them things like, uh, do you buy all your Christmas gifts, you know, before December 1st, or do you wait until after December 1st? Do you wrap your kids Christmas gifts three weeks in advance? Do you wrap them the night before? Do you do your taxes January 1st? Do you do them April the 14th? Um, and you will start to get an idea with more creative questions about how people think and, and process information. Do they like pressure? Do they procrastinate? Um, do they enjoy that last minute rush of needing to get something done? Or are they long-term planners? Uh, the other golden nugget for people to remember, especially employers and companies as a whole, is that you are hiring engineers and scientists and mathematicians. These people are not fluent in anything emotional. It is a struggle for many of them to have healthy interactions with their coworkers, healthy interactions with their families. And, and sometimes they don't even know how to have healthy emotional states on their own. Uh, so when I look at some of the people who come in and see me, 
there is no question of intelligence. I have people who are leaps and bounds ahead of me when it comes to intelligence. You know, they are highly intelligent people. But then when it comes to talking about uh, what that event did to them, what emotion it created, what cognition it created, they don't even know where to begin. It makes them uncomfortable to even be there. So this is something that you need a specialist who can put things into analyst terms and to industry terms for them. So a small example is when we talk about processing memories and things like that. I don't use clinical jargon. I say this is a database of information. And I specifically use that language because that is analyst language that they can understand and process. But Keep that in mind, that your people, your hires are not comfortable with emotions. They probably never will be. Uh, but with help from a coach like me, we can make that a whole lot better. And life will be a whole lot better for everybody at the company level and at the personal level. Practitioners, in terms of mental health, you are very important to the industry, both for the employee and for the employer, it sounds like. I know I sure learned a lot. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us for part two. Again, listeners, if you didn't listen to part one, I encourage everyone to go back a couple episodes and listen to that. Uh, listeners can also find out more information on mental health assistance that Lauren offers and other resources at laurenrich.net. As always, if you have a question, please drop us a comment. Uh, if you have a specific question, we will be sure to address it at some point or we can connect you with Lauren directly. As always, for more information on mental health, your security clearance, uh, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com.